Thank you, worship team, for helping us to warm our hearts to the words of Scripture, but also reminding us that we are making every effort to add to our faith perseverance. Pastor Rod had the opportunity to give to us the message of grace last week to knowledge, and we're going to be going into um, another aspect of God's Word in terms of perseverance and what that looks like. You know, for those who are new to the faith in Christ, and for those who are more seasoned in your walk with Jesus, this is something that um, you are more apropos to. But for those who are new, being a follower of Christ, can I say this, will have its ups and downs. I mean, that's essentially what First Peter is all about. That's what Second Peter is all about, those two letters regarding uh, persecution um, ad infinitum in that particular book. I mean, I don't believe I am off my rocker when I say that, right? I don't believe you're off your rocker if you say that as well. I'm under no illusion that you would not understand that truth. You do understand that truth. But by and large, uh, Peter's letters are honed in on the Christian life and suffering and persevering through it all, persevering through the milieu of of life and whatever it is that comes our way under the sun, one of those ecclesiastical moments, as it were. Uh, last May, I, I quoted from an author and pastor. His name is Alistair Begg. Some of you may be familiar with who he is. Um, Alistair Begg said this, and this is just a reminder. He said that Christianity involves always, and in every case, action. Agreed? To be a Christian is to be introduced to a life of steady persistence. I love that phrase, a life of steady persistence. But I think there's another word that if you were to condense it down to more wieldy parts is a word that I just uttered to you and Pastor Rod had uttered to you, uh, and it's that of perseverance perseverance. There's also another word that is essentially holding hands with perseverance, and that is endurance. So while perseverance conveys that positive character quality, such as the example that our Lord gave to us in the parable of the persistent widow, if you're familiar with the persistent widow and the parable that he gave, you would understand that she was consistently persevering, crying out for justice to an unjust judge. So then endurance conveys the notion of this inward fortitude to withstand stress or hardship. And that takes time, right? It takes time to develop that inward fortitude. That doesn't mean that we don't grieve. That doesn't mean that we don't cry or grieve under hardship. It doesn't mean that we remain stoic in our responses to a given trial, but it does mean that we should not shipwreck our faith in the crags of despair. And the writer to the Hebrews, he so understands the pressure that these Jewish believers were facing too. I'm going to go ahead, and last May I talked about this, I'm going to start broad. I'm just going to go ahead and narrow it down to our to our topic, broad 
and then narrow it down. The writer to the Hebrews, he understands this. He gets this. Because it seemed as though that the writer to the Hebrews, Jewish Christians, they were buckling under the severity of persecution to which the author says in Hebrews chapter 10, he says, don't throw away your confidence. Don't throw it away. Don't throw away your confidence, which has, and he says at the end, a great reward. For you have need of, and he uses the word endurance. You have need of an inward fortitude. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. In other words, he's saying to this, these believers, these Jewish believers, don't lose your confidence that is in Christ. Don't lose your confidence due to the pressure you are facing from those who are seeking to overthrow your faith in him. Because if you do that, there is no hope whatsoever for having any fruitful service, letting alone saving faith in your king, your Christ. Don't throw away, because of persecutions, to whatever severity that you find yourself in, don't throw away your confidence that's in Christ. Along the same vein, there's the apostle Peter. And the churches are facing a similar dilemma. The church is growing. It's increasing. They were living under this maniac called Nero. And he loved to build things. He loved to build things in order to magnify his name. His desire really was to build Rome after his image. So what does he do? Well, according to history, Nero discreetly hired some men to set fires in Rome so that Nero could continue his building projects. And then what he did was he slipped away to one of his nearby resorts overlooking the city of Rome from a distance while major districts of Rome began to burn to the ground. And then when an investigation ensued as to what happened and who set the fire, Nero turned around and laid blame on a new growing sect called the Christians. And you can imagine the persecution that ensued from there. Christians were seized, they were thrown into gladiator-type arenas, they were fed to starving lions and dogs. Nero also loved gardens. You like the garden? Nero loved gardens. He would build huge gardens. And so he took some of these captured Christians tied them on poles, covered them in pitch, and set them on fire to light his gardens at night in full view of his homosexual lovers. One non-Christian and Roman historian of those days, his name is Tacitus. Tacitus. And he was by no means any friend of Christians. And he said that the Christians were covered with the skins of beasts, They were torn by dogs and perished, or were nailed to crosses, or were doomed to the flames and burnt to severe as a nightly illumination when daylight had expired. 
Nero offered his gardens for the spectacle and was exhibiting a show in the circus while he mingled with the people in the dress of a charioteer or stood aloft on a car. Hence, even for criminals who deserved extreme exemplary punishment, there arose a feeling of compassion. For it was not as it seemed for the public good, but to glut one's man's cruelty that they were being destroyed. End quote. You know, we Christians, we have it good here. In the day and age we live in, we, by and large, have it really good. Many of the early Christians in those days thought that Nero, he was so bad, they really thought that he was the prophesied Antichrist to come. He was that evil. He was into an array of assortment of sins, pederastry, you name it, homosexuality. He was a maniac, and they lived under his tyrannical rule. Nevertheless, the apostle Peter wrote to believers under his reign, writing to a church that has been, quote, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, you've heard that, right? Cappadocia, Asia, In Bithynia, these believers were serving the Lord, going about their daily lives, enjoying fruitful service for the sake of Christ, just doing what they do in the church, what we do in the church, doing what we do, and just going about their daily lives. They had families, friends, and all of a sudden, severe persecution just suddenly came upon them like a thief. So now you take that, right? You take this maniacal ruler, Nero, compound that persecution from outside the church with false teaching that had crept into the church, and now Peter has to teach and warn against that as well because now there's persecution inside the church by those followers in the way. Now they have to fight inside the church. There's a fight outside the church, and now there's a fight inside the church the church. How in the world do followers of the way hope for any kind of fruitful service under those conditions? How in the world can you have any kind of fruitful service under that kind of rubric of persecution? Because apparently if they were able to serve and to bear fruit under those conditions, and certainly we also who name the name of Christ who are also followers of the way, don't you think we can as well? Because if they can do it, do we not bear the Spirit of Christ as well? Yeah? And so he says to them, in verses 3 and verse 4, you don't have to go there, I'm just going to go ahead and read it to you in a second letter, because he goes on and he says that it's because of God's divine power that he has given to his people everything that pertains to life and godliness. And then he says, quote, through the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence. Now take note of what he says here. I'm going to post it up here. I hope I have it up there. Take a note of what he says here in verses 5 through 7. He says, now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, then he says what? Perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness, and in your 
godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Last week, Pastor Rod had opened up the word of God to our hearts, and he um, highlighted for us this aspect of knowledge. But for our purposes on this Lord's Day, I would hope, I would want to highlight this notion of perseverance, perseverance. Make every effort to add to your saving faith. I stole that from you, Pastor Rod. (laughs) Make every effort to add to your saving faith, perseverance. If there is a, a person in all of Scripture, I mean, there's a number of examples. If there's a person in all of Scripture that the Lord used to demonstrate spirit-empowered perseverance of the faith through trials and tribulations, it would be who, church? You know who it is. It would be a man named Job. Job, in the book of Job, he was described as a blameless man. Not sinless, but blameless. You couldn't find something that was encroachable upon his character. He was blameless. He was upright, fearing God, turning away from evil. He had a family. You have families, right? We all come from families. He had a family of his own. Job chapter 1 verse 2, it says he had seven sons, three daughters were born to him. No doubt he loved his family. He was also a well-to-do man. He was a well-to-do man. In other words, God supplied for his needs. In fact, he had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man, quote, was the greatest of all the men of the East. He was a well-to-do man. The Lord had blessed his life and had blessed the life of his family. I mean, that's quite a resume, right? <laughs> but most importantly... Of all of the things that he had, he was a worshiper of Yahweh. He was a worshiper of Yahweh. Verse 5, when the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send, a, would send and consecrate them, rising up. Look at his fruitful service. Rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said this, Perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God. Perhaps my sons, perhaps my family sinned against God. I'm going to offer up something for them in their hearts. And he, then it says this, thus Job, verse 5, did this continually. This is what was characteristic of his life. It poured out of his life. That was his fruitful service to his king. To his king. In other words, that was, it, 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 wasn't, it didn't just lie dormant in his heart. His worship didn't just lie dormant in his heart, but it poured out by the way of action such that he prayed for them and he lifted up offerings to the Lord on behalf of his family, which reflected what? Church. A, light, a life of what? A fruitful service. A life of fruitful service, hope for fruitful service by way of, add to your faith, what? Perseverance. 
And since I've been assigned the task to explain to you that aspect of adding to your saving faith perseverance, what better example does the Scripture lift up as a portrait of grace than the men we know of as Job? And with that in mind, we've, we've reached <laughs> our proposition, and I would hope for us to see three ways we can bear fruit in service to Christ. Make every effort to add to your faith what? Perseverance. I'm going to keep saying that. Make every effort to add to your faith what, church? Perseverance. Perseverance. And since I've been assigned to that, I just want to do the best I can. This is called a topical expository sermon. Dealing on a particular topic, yes, perseverance, but making clear some passages in a broad kind of way. Make sense? I'm not going to go through all the, I mean, we're, we're dealing with, what, 42 chapters? Like, can't, like, I mean, that would be like Spurgeon, but I'm not Spurgeon, but I am a man like Pastor Rod and Alfonso and Sam and just like you all, a man who is sent to wants to do the best I can to encourage your hearts to give you some measure of perseverance in your life, right? How's that doing? How are you doing by that, with that, by the way? How's that going for you? I would hope that you are persevering through whatever circumstances you are going through. Three ways we can trust we can bear fruit in service to Christ. And we, let's just go ahead and start off with this. Let's start off with fruitful service faces trials head on. Fruitful service faces trials head on. You know, for the sake of time, I need to do a, a, a reader's digest concerning Job's state of affairs. I did the best I could. I hope you're, you're blessed by that. Job found himself in an unexpected state of dismay. Dismay. In other words, we know this. Look, I, I'm under no illusion that you do not know this, right? You know, double negative makes a positive. I do not, I'm not under any illusion that you don't know this. You know this. Trials do come to God's people. In one day, Job lost everything. He lost his servants. He, he lost his business. But the most devastating loss was the loss of his children, his servants. You know, if you spoke to any mother or father in this room who has lost a child, they are keenly aware of that loss, which is absolutely devastating. And the Lord is keenly aware of the pain of that kind of loss as well. I know for many of you who are here who have a seasoned life as followers of Christ, there's no illusion that trials can leave us sitting, as it were, on an ash heap of loss. But he's equally concerning, at least in our hearts, I would hope that how we respond to trials reveals what we value, reveals what we value. How we respond to trials reveals what we value. Look at Job chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Then Job arose, he lost his family, he lost his family, his servants, his business. He tore his robe, shaved his head, he fell to the ground, and what? He worshipped. He worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord God gave, and the Lord's taken away. Look at what pours out of his heart. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame 
God. I <laughs> just, you know, Job's grief was real, right? It was, it, was, it, was, it was real. He tore his robe, shaved his head. He's exemplifying his grief. His losses were real. But what is it that you find in that passage? What, is, what do you see at the center of his heart, the overflow of his heart? There is this peculiar fortitude to persevere under such devastating loss that can only be said to have been given to him from above, right? Make every effort to add to your faith what, church? Perseverance. <laughs> Perseverance. You know, I, I know not what of good or ill may be reserved for me of weary ways or golden days before his face I see. You know, Job never knew what lay behind that supernatural curtain in the celestial realm. Never knew. Never knew. And it wasn't for whatever reason that remains only and belongs only to God, it was not granted to him to see nor understand. But the Lord did see fit, which is, I find it pretty interesting. The Lord did see fit to give us his special revelation. What is that? The Word of God, yeah? To give us his special revelation to just get a, a sneak peek behind that curtain, just a, just a small sneak peek to look into the celestial realm and then close it, and then close it, as it were, behind the source of the severity of Job's affliction. But the quintessential truth that lay in the one who was in sovereign control over the helm of it all, is that okay with you? Ask yourself that question. Is that okay with you? Are you okay with not knowing the full array of the why? I can see some circumstances, even in my own life and history, that I sometimes ask, Lord, I don't understand why you went about, or allowing, rather, said point A or point B or point C. I don't get it, God. That's hard. It's called theodicy in, in, in theological circles. It's called theodicy. You should look it up. It's Theologians just knock their heads together, trying to understand that, Try to understand that. Job did as well. How do I understand hardship in the face of a sovereign God, right? It's, that's why I think about my favorite hymn. It's an excerpt of the hymn. It's not in my notes here. Uh, it says, you know, God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform, he plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. <laughs> you know, and sometimes we just ride upon the coattails of his providence. We ride upon the coattails of his sovereign power, even in the why. Even in the why. Because let's face it, let's just be honest, right? It has not been granted to us as individual Christians what lay behind the supernatural realm of the why in the moment. But what is your characteristic response to a given trial? What is your characteristic response, whatever the case may be for any of us, our persevering faith lay in the Lord who can deliver us from testing? Yes? Agreed? Amen to that? We, we know that. 
The Lord can deliver us from testing. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 16. Don't lead us into temptation, but what? Deliver us from evil. It doesn't mean that God solicits evil to believers, but that he allows testing to come into our lives with a view toward maturing us through perseverance, which produces in us, as Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 5 would say, proven what? Proven character, perseverance, Develops what? Perseverance and character and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. It never disappoints because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to what? To us, to you, to me. Your fruitful service, it perseveres even through the unexplained loss. But we know that God measures every single circumstance. I'm going somewhere with this. God measures every circumstance. Ah, skin for skin, Satan says, right? To Job, skin, skin for skin. All that a man has, he will give for his life. However, put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. You've given him everything, God. You've given him everything. Just let me touch his skin, and I will show you what he will do. I will show you his response to his affliction. So the Lord said, behold, it means look, he's in your power. But you spare his life. You spare his life. You know what God is doing, right? He's displaying his sovereignty over the creature. Displaying his sovereignty over the creature. Well, we know what happened with that, right? Satan struck Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, verse 8. And he took a potsherd to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. And Job, he had absolutely no way to relieve the extraordinarily physical stress that he was under. He had no medicine. He had no um, pain, uh, pain reliever. The only way that he could somehow reduce the trauma that he was experiencing was to break open the boils with a broken pot to relieve himself. And then you add to the stress with what his wife had said to him while he sat on that ash heap, quote, do you still hold fast to your integrity? In other words, she thought that Job had done something wrong. You still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Curse God and die. That is not the fruit of perseverance and service to King Jesus. It's not perseverance. It's something else entirely. At the most rudimentary level, the fruit of perseverance or persevering faith says that whatever the situation that I find myself in, that my fruitful service and trust, which is what it is, and trust, fruitful service, and trust our lives in the Lord's care. That is a fruitful service. Your behavior is the fruitful service in the Lord's care. Look at Job's response. 
says, wife, shall we indeed accept good from God and not adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. My goodness, man. Good night. Just brings tears to my eyes. Just his response is just nothing like I had ever seen. You know, whatever my God ordains is right. Do we really believe that? I said that this morning. Do we really believe that? Because if we really believe that, that has to, show, that has to come out somewhere, right? I know, essentially, to some degree or another, what you believe by your behavior. By what you say or how you walk. Whatever my God ordains is right. Holy his will abides. I will be still in whatever he does and follow where he guides. He is my God through dark my road and he holds me that I shall not fall. Wherefore to him I leave it all. I leave it all. I leave it all. God's kingdom at the end, I know, lay at the end of our journey, right? Through earthly tribulations and toil and snare. And in the epicenter of Job's affliction, many, the beautiful word and words just began to overflow from his heart in his affliction. He says this, for instance, Job 19, he says, I don't know about you, friends, wife, but as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. It's my favorite verse. And at the end, he will take his stand on the earth. And even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I Myself shall behold whom my eyes shall see, and not another, oh God, my heart faints within me. This is a resurrection passage. He saw his future resurrection. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God. I shall see him. Oh, my heart faints within me to see that day and to know that every affliction, but particularly, add to your faith, what? Perseverance, the persevering of the saints. It's all worth it for him. To get a glimpse of him, it's all worth it. What does the fruit of your service look like? Huh? To your king. What does it look like? Make every effort to add to your Saving faith, what? Perseverance. Perseverance. Book of Acts, chapter 14. Notice what it says. They were aware of this. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, fruitful service, right? They were serving the Lord, going about their way of life, serving the Lord. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying through what? Many tribulations we must what? Enter the kingdom of God. Enter the kingdom of God. You know, fruitful service and trust God 
even with the unanswered questions. Even with the unanswered questions. You know, many people have come and gone into the, the church when tribulation strikes at the shore of their life and they end up leaving because of that. The Lord uses tribulation to test his people. You know, enter Job's friends. Gotta love friends, right? <laughs> Gotta love his constituents. Gotta love friends in general. Eliphaz, Bildad, each of them spoke three things and Zophar spoke twice. All of them were his close constituents. All of them were his eminent were very eminent in their discourse. Just listen to what they said. My goodness, their theological, their, what they say, you can tell they're very eminent men. But each of them were wrong in their conclusion as to why Job was suffering the way he did. Every single one. They all accused Job of sinning in some particular way against the Lord, which God prescribed the penalty upon which Job was suffering. Oh, who have you wronged, Job? Who have you wronged? But the bottom line for Job to his friends was that he didn't understand the reason behind his suffering at all. I, I, don't, I don't understand why. I don't, I don't, I don't get it, God. But I just don't get what I did to deserve this. I don't, I don't understand what I did. After all, Job in the book, he confessed his his, that he confessed saying, look, I, I know I'm not sinless, but he prayed that only God must know the reason, and he prayed that God would answer him, which God would. <laughs> God would eventually come to put an end to the foolishness of Job's friends, but deal particularly with the man named Job. Because Job's understanding of God's sovereignty was a bit narrow was a bit narrow. And we ought to be careful not to act like Job's friends in presuming upon, one's, upon a person's suffering as though that person provoked the wrath of God. Does God punish sin? Of course he punishes sin. Does, is not God mocked? God is not mocked. Does a person reap what he sows? Of course they reap what they sow. But that's not the case here in the life of Job. Not the case. And certainly not in the case of many others in the church who are suffering. Because we understand, we see that persevering faith, the fruit of our service to him, sees God as sovereign. Now, after the discourse, God shows up. Uh-oh. <laughs> God shows up. In a whirlwind. And he says to Job, <laughs> uh, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Job, Job, gird up your loins like a man and I will ask you and you will instruct me. Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you, Job? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set his measurements? Since you know, right, Job? Or who stretched the line on it? Who stretched the line on it, Job? Tell me, church. Surely you must know, right? Surely you must know. 
Do you see what the Lord is doing? Do you see it? Do you see what he's setting Job up for? He needs to remind Job who he's worshiping. Persevering faith has to face trials head on. It sees God as sovereign, even over the unexplainable. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with that? Persevering faith must push through that because when we daily surrender to that, my friends, may I lay before you that what you are doing is making what? Is you're adding to your saving faith what? (laughs) Perseverance. Perseverance. Just one aspect. Just one. Just one aspect. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. It says this, Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your what? Testing. As though some strange thing were happening to you, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with what? With exaltation. You will finally understand and know why the Lord allowed so many things in your life and my life, and we will what? We will exalt. We will get it then, but now it hasn't been revealed to us. God continued to ask Job 77 questions, all of which Job could not answer a single one. Do you know the laws of heaven? Job, do you know, church? Do you know the laws of heaven? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? If you want to, I mean, what do you say to that? You just shut your mouth and stay in silence. Stay in silence. Do you know the laws of the heavens, Job? Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Do you, Job? Have you flown up there, Job? Who can tip over the water jars of the heavens, Job? Church, who can do that? Can you? Tell me if you know. In other words, if we were to put this in the vernacular, Job, do you know how the hydraulic cycle works? And we didn't even know that existed until the 1800s. God made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm. Surely you know, Job. Church, do you have that kind of power? Can you fathom the invisible works of nature, Job, faith? Do you tell me if you know? Do you get it? Job, have you, have you entered into the springs of the sea? Faith, have you entered into the springs of the sea? Surely you have, yes. Surely you have the kind of power to slow it down and to speed it up. Surely you know. We weren't even aware that there were springs in the sea until 1977. <laughs> Do you see what God is doing? Do you see what God is doing? He is displaying his absolute sovereignty over all things. It kind of makes you scared a little bit, doesn't it? Because you sort of see his sovereign power, and he is just so mighty and so amazing and so beautiful that I am his creature, and he is in absolute control, even behind the things that I don't see. 
It doesn't end there. Now God introduces this giant creature in Scripture. This giant creature. He says, Job, tell me about Behemoth. Can you tell me? You know, his strength is in his loins and his power is in the muscles of his belly. He bends his tail like a cedar tree. This is the behemoth is the, is the biggest creature that God has ever made. A land creature. The sinews of his thighs are, like, are tightly knit together. His bones of tubes of bronze. His limbs are like bars of iron. He is the first, in other words, the chief. He's the biggest thing that God has ever created on the land. He's the first of the ways of God. Job, can you capture him when he's on the watch? Church, can you with barbs, can anyone pierce his nose? Can you capture this creature, Job? How, how about another creature, Job? How about a sea creature? How about Leviathan, Job? Can you, can you draw out Leviathan? Can you draw out Leviathan with a hook? Can you press down, Job, faith, church? Can you, can you press down his tongue with a cord? <laughs> Lay your hand on him. Remember the battle. You never do it again. Behold, your expectation is false. Will you be laid low even at the sight of him? Job? Church? No one is so fierce that he dares to arouse him. Out of his mouth kindles coals and a fire comes out of his mouth, he says to Job. He says to Job. And then he says this, Job, you can't tame this creature, right? And Job knows the answer is, I can't. Job, if you can't tame these creatures, if you have no power over these creatures, then who then is able to stand against me? Who? Satan? Nah. You? Job, who has given to me that I should repay him? <laughs> Whatever is under the heavens is mine. That's what he says. In other words, if Job, if you know that I am the sovereign one, would you believe me that I am also in control over the events and circumstances over the timeline of your entire life? Would you believe me, church, if I said to you that God is in sovereign control over the timeline of your entire life? You know, persevering faith. What does your faith look like in that moment? It puts faith, it puts God's way into action. Here's Job's response. He gets it now. <laughs> he, he gets it. It. Lord, I, I know that you can do all things. Omnipotence. I know you can do all things. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? I've, I've declared things which I just didn't understand. Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. I just didn't know. God, here now I will speak. I will ask you and you will instruct me. I have heard of you. 
by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Because of that, therefore, oh God, I repent, I retract, and I repent in dust and ashes. I forgot how sovereign you are, Lord. I don't need any more questions. I get it. I understand. I understand. Persevering faith endures until the end. It endures until the end. You know, we look at the past of Job's life and we see the present in Romans. And it says this, you know, whatever was written in earlier times, it says it was written for our instruction. It was written for you and me. So that through what? Perseverance. And the encouragement of the scriptures that we might have what, church? Hope. Hope. James chapter 5.11, as an example, brethren, of the suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured that fortitude. You have heard of the endurance of who, church? You've heard of the endurance of Job? And have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. You've seen what he did. That the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. You know, Job got everything back, like tenfold. Got everything back. He didn't deserve it, but he got everything back. He got everything back. And even if he didn't, that's okay, right? That's okay. That's okay. And so can I remind you to let us run with endurance? Run with perseverance? That's a fruit, right? The fruit of, su- of fruitful service to him. Run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. You know, Job's life of perseverance. It gives hope that the Lord is full of mercy and compassion. And that is what believers, I would hope, I would hope that we would understand and see revealed as they and we and you and I persevere, that the trials, the trials that Job comes to, and he doesn't necessarily know why, but we see his response. We see the outcome of his faith, and that is what? Perseverance. Make every effort to add to your faith. Perseverance. O oh, Lord of heaven, Lord, when trials slam down upon the shore of our lives, it's so easy to ask the question of why. We're doing our thing, doing the best we can to serve, and all of a sudden, some malady strikes our health. And we don't understand. May we rest in your sovereign care, knowing that even though we can't see behind the curtain of the celestial realm, we can see you in full array, in full power, in full sovereignty, reminding us of the life of Job and that everything is going to be okay. We worship you, even in the unexplained. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.